So, welcome to Six Sad World. This is Jasmine. And I'm Mari. And today we have a very special episode. Um, there's actually a bit of a, not a laugh out loud funny kind of story behind this, but um, we have a special guest on our episode, and this person actually reached out to us through our Instagram, um, made a comment post, and I'm going to be a little bit honest. When you reached out to us, I was a little bit, <laughs> not necessarily concerned, but I was like, oh, this is this is very strange that like someone would comment this in our post. So I looked, I looked our special guest that I'm about to introduce, um, and I told my co-host Mari right away, I'm like, we have to, we have to figure out how we can talk to this person. So this is Kristen Nadell, and um, she's going to tell us a bit about what happened. Well, I'm going to go through the case yes, first. But she's also going to talk about it as well. Um, but uh, why don't you say hello uh, to our listeners? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on. I know that it was a very interesting approach, and I was honestly just... I don't even know what compelled me to message you guys, but I just wanted to be very forward about, you know, my case and my life and just thought I'd give it a shot. <laughs> We're very glad you did. Yes, exactly. um, the, your case is very interesting and um, we think that it does deserve more coverage. Um, so why don't I start by telling our listeners about your case? Yeah, so you can see why um, we think it needs to be talked about a lot more. So um, I'm going to preface this by saying that there is very little coverage on this from what I could find. Um, most of the articles I could find were like outdoors blogs, mm-hmm. um, which are not, you know, the most reputable in their news information. Um, but when I was looking for like news sources, there's I think if there was just like a local news channel um, that did some coverage um so this is the case of the disappearance of mel natal uh, sorry now i'm just nervous about names <laughs> <laughs> I, I corrected you on name before we even started but i'm sorry i kind of like set it up for high pressure situation don't worry <laughs> uh it's mostly a high pressure situation because it's the first time that we've talked to a family member involved in one of our cases and so now i'm just like i want to be as respectful as yeah. possible um, oh i really i really appreciate it this is the first time i've been on a podcast myself personally so it's it's all learning experience here <laughs> so it's the first for both of us <laughs> yes um so um on september 6th uh 2009 uh mel your father uh went hunting on elk mountain in new mexico for those who aren't familiar um with the geography, um, with two friends, Joe Munez and Joe's brother-in-law, Eric. Um, so at about 4.30 that afternoon, Joe and Eric left to go hunt elk um, further away from the camp, and uh, Mel decided to stick close to the camp and build a blind instead. And for those of us who are not familiar with hunting terminology, a yeah. blind is just um, a structure you can... Um, kind of like wait behind yeah. to avoid detection from the animals you're hunting. Um, so Mel avoided hunting far from the camp after he had gotten lost hunting in the Yemez, Yemez mountains a few years ago. I think that's how you pronounce Yemez. Hemez. <laughs> Close. Hemez. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so bad with, with names. Uh, so a few years earlier, he had gotten lost in the Jemez Mountains, um, and so he had to use his gun to kind of fire off into the air to get uh, his friends to be able to find him again. And ever since then, he always made sure to carry around a GPS when he did go hunting, um, which I think is kind of a, a big key detail in this, is that, you know, um, Mel was very aware of the dangers of being out in the wilderness and getting lost and getting lost. And, you know, he was prepared. Um, 
That day, he had also been injured earlier and had his knee wrapped up. Um, so he, he wasn't really going to go very far from camp. Um, so a few hours later, Joe and Eric returned to camp and Mel was nowhere to be found. Uh, his car was still parked where he left it with his phone, wallet, and GPS still locked inside. Um, Joe and Eric worried. Yeah, I can read my writing. Joe and Eric worried he may have gotten lost again and began to honk their car horns and fire their guns in the air in an attempt to help lead Mel back to camp. Uh, They also reportedly did hear two shots in the distance, but they weren't able to locate where they came from. And after the two shots, um, there was nothing else. After a few hours without finding him, uh, they decided to report him missing. So the next day, a search and rescue team uh, was assembled to search the area. And from what I understand, um, there was both an unofficial search party and an official search party. So there was lots of people involved um, kind of scouring this forest to find anything to do with Mel. Um, During the initial search, search dogs were able to find Mel's footprints leading away from the camp. Um, and they led about 50 to 150 yards, depending on which report you read, um, away, but they lost the scent and the tracks kind of abruptly um, after that point. Um, During the search, no arrows, shell casings, or animal prints or signs of struggle of any kind were found. Um, Some... Background info on Mel. So Mel may have been 61 at the time and stood at five foot two and 135 pounds, but he was very physically fit. He owned a Pilates Fitness Plus gym and held a black belt in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had a 44 um, and a bow and arrows on him for the hunting. Um, the gun and the bow and arrows were never found. Um, Another search was performed nine months later, but it didn't provide any new leads. Um, There have been some theories as to what happened to Mel, but of course there's no evidence to really confirm anything. Um, One theory investigators suggested was that Mel might've run off with another woman uh, because they had found a pair of women's jeans in his car but Mel's also five foot two, and uh, according to his wife Edna, he just likes his jeans to fit properly, regardless of gender. So it's no surprise that he would have a pair of women's jeans. Um, he, his bank accounts were also never touched um, after the, his disappearance. Um, and by all accounts, uh, Mel and Edna had a very happy marriage, and there were no financial or legal issues um, that came up. In 1998, there was also another disappearance of a 71-year-old woman named Emma Tresp, um, who disappeared in the Picos, Picos or Pecos area. Pecos. I know that every time I say a name, I'm probably getting it wrong. You always get like the hard (laughs) names, or the hard, but the 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 names that kind of have questionable um, pronunciation. We're not too sure about. Uh, I should just look them up before recording. <laughs> that is true. That is also true. <laughs> um, so Emma Tress was traveling to a monastery, but never made it. Her car was also found abandoned, um, and but no other trace of her was found. The only thing that was missing was her purse. Um, some claim because of this disappearance in the same area with you know, very little evidence that there is a either interdimensional wormhole, aliens, or some other supernatural explanation. Um, but another kind of more mundane explanation may have been that Mel was attacked by an animal, like a bear or mountain lion. Um, but as I mentioned before, there was no evidence to confirm that theory. And... Um, at the time, uh, Kristen, our guest, um, had been 18 uh, when he disappeared and has since written a book called Freebird, 
um, about his disappearance, which you can find on Amazon. Yes. So, um, one thing that we wanted to kind of discuss on this episode was um, how you felt the media covered um, your father's disappearance and whether or not um, the details that we could find actually matched up with your experience. Yeah. The media coverage, that was kind of a, a crazy thing because I know you mentioned when you did your research, um, it was hard to find many reputable articles, which throughout the years it has become very, um, I don't know how to say it, just the news stories, I guess, got archived. So there are less news stories and more just kind of random blog stories and it's kind of like playing telephone. The details get lost, you know, a little bit each time a new story is posted. But actually, before I wrote Freebird, I went around and um, tried to contact as many of these bloggers that I could to get the details right. So pretty much um, as I was listening along, all the details sounded correct, except for um, my dad. He did have an injured knee, but I believe that had happened throughout the in the beginning of the week, you know, he was teaching his Pilates classes. So he had been wearing a knee brace for a couple of days. Um, it was kind of up for debate whether he would even go on this hunting trip, you know, because of said injury. But it wasn't bad enough to stop him. He was very resilient and he loved being in nature. But from what from what I've heard, everything he said was pretty accurate and spot on. Um, back to the question, though. Um, media coverage was basically, it was a whirlwind. Um, the The local news reporters would come to my house, different ones each day, and my mother and I would be, you know, doing the interviews and stuff. And I truly felt like I was grateful for the coverage. However, I also kind of felt like um, they wanted a specific reaction out of me. Um, and by that, I mean... They wanted tears. They wanted emotion. They wanted something really expressive, which I was not able to do and did not want to do in public. You know, I I wanted the case to be um, covered, but I didn't want to cry on camera when it all came down to it. And I kind of felt like the media was looking for a reaction, if I'm being candid. Yeah, you're there looking for a spectacle to like portray this big tragic story that's what they were looking for because they're always looking for drama in the media I think yeah and I can definitely understand not being able to kind of perform that for them because you know grief and and concern and worry uh, are all very intimate feelings and I know that I struggle with you know crying in front of friends much less strangers um and to have that be kind of how you're portrayed to the entire world is is a very difficult thing to go through yeah and part of the reason why I I mean Freebird was a long time coming I was writing Freebird from the night everything happened and of course it took me many years to perfect it to what I considered presentable to you know other people but I kind of wanted to write it just to given insight on what it was actually like because I would go on and read the comments um, on these news videos, articles, and whatnot, and people would say things like, ah, look, the daughter's not even crying. There's no emotion there. She probably did it, or she probably doesn't care. She probably just wants this. It, it was actually pretty crazy um, now, to, now that I think about it. And I, like you mentioned, I was 18 at the time. I'm 27 now, so it was just, you know, very different then. Yeah, I can imagine that's horrible that that people would make such assumptions just based off of, you know, a reaction to something they've never even experienced before. Yeah, they don't know you, don't know the entire situation, but I mean, it's an ongoing thing. People just have this sort of gut reaction to just say whatever the heck has come to mind, even if it has no basis and they don't understand the sort of impact it has on the on the people they're talking about yeah that's that's really awful I feel like that problem has just been 
we've been more persistent throughout the years. You know, we have our keyboard warriors. They just love getting into little arguments online. Yeah. People people definitely like to to start some stuff on the internet, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of trolls out there who like to think they know everything and uh, they know exactly how they would respond in every situation, even though they've never been anywhere close to a situation yeah. like that before. And, you know, a lot of people like to think that they, they know how they would deal with something. Yeah. But like, even like the loss of my, my grandmother a few years ago, like I, the day that I found out she had passed, I went into work and I was like, like I got halfway through my shift before it even hit me what happened. And like, a lot of people were surprised. They were like, why did you even come in today? Why didn't you just call in sick? And I was like, I didn't think it would be. Like, I, thing. <laughs> I didn't. And like, that's nowhere even near your situation. Yeah. So, yeah, like people respond in very different ways. And it's not always going to be that very typical response that we see in like TV dramas. Exactly. And I think like what you were touching on before, everyone handles trauma or grief um, differently and just healing is never linear. So it's never going to be, you know, just um, one way or the other. And I think that's really important for people to realize, you know, no matter what you're going through. Exactly. Yeah. Um, We also wanted to ask you a bit about, um, kind of your your experiences through this as well and um how what you thought of the investigation and the searches yeah um so did you feel as though um investigators were thorough enough in their search for your father i felt really confused by the investigation because at the time um i'm not sure how much you read about missing missing persons cases today, but normally they have resources such as heat sensing helicopters that fly over the area and, you know, it's, it's infrared so they can detect any human life. Um, so at the time, that was one of the biggest things that we were pushing for. And it wasn't as common back then. I, I don't know why. I don't know if they just didn't have the resources, but we were pushing for that. That never happened. Um, I'm really not sure why, but, and I'm not saying that there was any negligence. It it was just kind of, I feel like there was definitely more that could be done. Um, I was also confused at the fact that my dad's Jeep was on site for, stayed there for a long while, and then it was eventually returned home, but the Jeep was unlocked, um, and the crime scene was never closed off. So like you mentioned, there were searchers, both official and unofficial, and everyone had the same access to the Jeep, to his belongings, to what I would assume would be any sort of evidence and fingerprints and whatnot. So it was just, I don't know if there were control issues, but it was to my understanding, nothing was roped off and nothing was separated. So that always confused me. But I'm very obviously very grateful for all of the searches that were organized, all of the volunteers that went up on their own time, of course, but definitely I think there were things that could have been improved upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I believe I did read about the heat sensing helicopters um, and the, the only article I found that mentioned them just said that um, they weren't available at the time. Um, and that was kind of the only thing that was mentioned about them. Um, but I also, reading about it, I also f- felt as though um, they had kind of written off foul play as... Um, Absolutely. As, as a potential, you know... Um, yeah, as a potential uh, explanation. Um and I wanted to know if you felt uh, if uh, foul play could have been involved. So a lot of people ask me, everyone really asks me, what do you think happened? What What do you feel, you know, what do you feel happened? I've always felt that there was foul play involved. 
I do not have any names, scenarios, any credible, you know, anything to back that up. But it, it has always been my gut instinct that there was foul play involved because with the way that this happened and just disappearing without a trace with weapons on you, with different devices on you, it's just so unheard of that not a shred of clothing was found, not a bow, an arrow, a knife, a gun. He had a knife on him as well. So it, it's just very, very suspicious to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, to me even, I I don't want to kind of pretend I'm an investigator in this or anything or that, um, anything like that. But to me, it felt like, um, and this is just from reading what I could find out there. So this could just be stuff that's been left out. Um, but I didn't really notice anything looking into even um, the friends he was with. Um, at the time that it happened. So I know that wasn't really reported on, um, but Joe and Eric were both immediately investigated. I was investigated and my mother was investigated. Um, so that, that was something that they were thorough about. Um, and that did happen very early on. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was ever even mentioned in any sort of reporting, though. Not really. A lot of the articles that we were able to come across, they were, to say the least, quite vague on details, mm-hmm. it was a very like overarching, like just blank, blanket statement about what had happened. Um, so, yeah, I, as far as I could tell, they, it, they didn't really mention like who was investigated specifically, all the avenues they were looking at. You know, that's from my experience anyway. Yeah, um, when I w- in during my reading as well, um, they didn't mention, at least in the reports that I read, anything to do with the. Uh, with Eric and Joe. Um, I, that's why I was a little hesitant to ask because I know that um, what's in the reports isn't always what actually happened um, and that there aren't always those details. And I know that this these are friends of your father and obviously they are also going to be going through the same kind of trauma and grief as well. Um, but um, it is good to know that at least they they were investigated and um, were able to be cleared. Yeah, because like you said, the situation, nothing really adds up. Like, so a foul play, in a way, makes the most sense. Because things don't add, don't add up, it means that, it feels like it means that someone else was involved and that's why it doesn't add up. Um, so it's it's very, very interesting to know that you, you also feel the same way along the same that line of thoughts. Right. And I've always felt that way. Um, obviously you have to be very careful with what you say and stuff and, you know, just want to make it very clear. I'm not pointing fingers because I have yeah. no idea, but that's just always been the gut feeling. you know. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I wouldn't even, be able to put together a list of people if there's a person involved, a list of people who did do it. But it's just my feeling is that someone, it could be someone completely unrelated because oftentimes it can happen to a random person if that is the case. So I, I exactly. And is, that's, you know. that's always sort of been my idea of kind of wrong place at the wrong time, perhaps, or, yeah, you know, just something unfortunate and unfortunate, situation that was obviously not planned yeah, and it's just unfortunate that there weren't there wasn't a lot done to kind of preserve um the scenes there like around the, the jeep and at the campsite um so there's no real way to be sure if there was evidence that was missed yeah. Or overlooked or even that got moved by accident. Because someone didn't realize the significance of it. The integrity of the whole scene was kind of lost in that sense because it wasn't handled as carefully as it probably should have been. Yeah, and I definitely feel like those first 48 hours should have been handled differently. Um, I didn't really find out about how things were being handled until after the fact. And yeah, it just, you know... I'm, of course, not a detective either, but then 18-year-old me <clears throat> was like, 
shouldn't they be doing this differently, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I don't, I could be misremembering this, but I think oftentimes when it comes to any sort of like, um, you know, crimes or incidents, like the first 48 hours are kind of the most important ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the moment that they realized he was missing and knew where everything had kind of taken place, that, sh- that should have been roped off. It should have been, you know, been sort of monitoring who was coming in and out not to say that who was coming in out went in there with ill intention, just to make sure that everything was, you know, handled right. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. I personally went up there about, I want to say a week or so after, because I went on one of the searches myself and mm-hmm. I found crime scene tape that was kind of discarded. It was like off to the side. Um, at this point, his Jeep was not up there anymore, but it just seemed very, I understand you can't rope off an entire forest, but at the same time, it's kind of like it didn't seem very official when I, when I saw it with my own eyes, you know? Um, so another thing I wanted to ask you, um, this is always very weird to kind of bring up, uh, but there have been some kind of, you know, armchair detectives uh, have kind of um, suggested that there might be supernatural uh, elements to this disappearance. Um, What do you kind of think of those theories? Honestly, (laughs) I'm only laughing because I do not think that those theories apply in any way, shape or form to my dad's case. However, I'm a very open-minded individual. I I, you know, I grew up in New Mexico. Like if that tells you anything, I have the most open mind. However, I do not think that anything about this was supernatural, had anything to do with other life forms, no wormholes, nothing. I went up there myself, you know, I walked around and it's, it's, you know, there's nothing crazy going on up there other than these people disappearing and never being heard from ever again. So I, d- I don't think that that has anything to do with this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, well, yeah. It, it, I think it's it's something that is, like, almost fun or entertaining to kind of imagine. But at the same time, there's also nothing really there to suggest that there is, I mean, other than the lack of ed- evidence, um, to really back up those cases as well. And, you know, this yeah. is one of the few kind of like conspiracy stories that I've read that didn't really have really anything to go on from that point as well. Like, it's just like, it's not as heavily wooded as some other areas. So if he had gotten lost and wandered off somewhere, he still could have, um, made it to a road or, you know, somewhere else. That's yeah. another thing um, I wanted to touch. I think oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I was just going to uh, say something along the lines of, I think it's just like the whole situation that someone going missing in the forest. It was like very, very little to go off of people just immediately go to their imagination, like the most outlandish possible um, sort of option. Right. Like, oh, it must have been aliens because <laughs> he was in the forest in the middle of nowhere. That's, clearly makes the most sense right (laughs) i mean i love a good conspiracy theory but uh after having it become my life it's just kind of like you you get to a point where it's like no come on like that's not (laughs) no yeah um but yeah i wanted to touch on the 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 actual area itself um because you know obviously it's it's easy to get lost in the woods and it's easy to get turned around but this area was not super heavily wooded i mean at some point i think you just mentioned he would have gotten to a road gotten somewhere gotten to a clearing actually we started the the place that they were camping was a big clearing and it was a very open area off of a dirt road that we were able to access pretty easily so it's not like walking out there and getting completely lost with no 
way to find the main road. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's just very unlikely that someone who has been hunting for a couple of years would just simply get lost and would never be able to find any sort of way back, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's, that's, that's very, I think, I think it's like key important to this whole situation is that like, it wasn't like a super, super dense, like lost in the woods for weeks and weeks on end sort of forest. Right. You know? Right. And then there were, so many people searching and people came from Colorado and, you know, all around just walking on foot, going and going and going to, you know, somebody would have come across him. I feel there were so many people just walking all over the place and there were helicopters mm-hmm. flying over the, not the heat sensing ones, but you know, the police had their in air resources as well. So nothing, nothing ever came of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had kind of one more question. I, if you're uncomfortable answering, you know, definitely, um, you can say so and, um, we can like not discuss it, but, um, I do know that there was a river running through the forest. Um, was the river ever dragged for, you know, even his um, body, if he, you know, did meet kind of a foul end. Yes. So the Pecos River, actually, on the search that I mentioned I went on, we we were searching um, a little bit further away from the site where he disappeared. We were searching along the Pecos River, actually. And that was always, you know, uh, an area in question. And that was searched. And of course, you know, they combed everything, they looked in there, they they kept monitoring it for years to come. So yeah, that was definitely searched thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is a little bit off topic for me. I hope you don't mind me asking. We were talking a lot about sort of the things that happened to your father, but I'm actually kind of curious like about your father as a person. Like, clearly he was very, very important to you and your mother and like, just like what, what kind of, what kind of relationship did you guys have? Like what kind of, what kind of person was your dad? My dad grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I was actually homeschooled my entire life up until college. So we spent a lot of time together. He was my best friend, my teacher, just, he taught me so much from street smarts to, you know, my actual homeschooling. So we, we're very, very close. He was into rock and roll. He was kind of like a jack of all trades. He had his Pilates studio, but prior to that, he worked as a jeweler. In between all that, he worked fixing computers. He was into technology. You know, he just kind of had a lot of interests and always kept me inspired to have a lot of interests in my own life as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, as we know, that you wrote a book um, prior to your dad's um, disappearance. Were you writing before? Like, were you doing any sort of creative writing that you might have shared with, say, friends or family? Or was the book, like, your dad's disappearance sort of what inspired you to get writing is what I'm asking. Oh, I see. I wanted to be a writer. Um, I was in college. Um, I started college at 16. And so I was actually in school for writing. I've always loved writing. And honestly, with everything that happened to my dad, I kind of had to take a very long writer's block and just sort of evaluate. Um, But I've always been into writing and wanted to be a writer from a young age. Okay. Um, can I ask what kind of writing you did do before all of this? Um, actually it was pretty similar to what Freebird is. I've always loved personal narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. I love to write about things that I've been through and kind of provide insight. I, I like to write poetry, um, pretty much anything nonfiction. That's, that's what I like to write. Mm Mm-hmm. 
a lot of a lot of lived life experiences um very personal stuff yeah exactly i feel i don't know i have um i like clarity and i like being able to give other people clarity as well and i just feel like writing can be a very honest way to do that and get that message across mhm and i um i'm a writer myself as well um so i i see so much value in the the personal story um i think there hasn't been enough value placed on it you know uh in the industry at least um but it's it's such an important and i appreciate you saying that it's really important to have um, that, that personal perspective, um, because I think we kind of remove, um, that personal experience from a lot of the, the stories that are told about real life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also part of why it's so easy to kind of, um, make assumptions and, you know, um, be so quick to judge when it comes to, um, you know, these like online trolls that we're talking about yeah. because we've spent so long saying that personal experience doesn't matter when it's, it's almost everything, like everything is based around it. And that was right. And that was my reasoning. I know that, well, I didn't know, I didn't know what people were going to think of Freebird. I didn't know if anyone was going to be able to relate to Freebird and, I didn't want anyone to assume that I was doing this for personal gain. I don't know if that makes sense, no, but I I just wanted a way to express this and I thought, you know, if this can benefit one other person in some way shape or form, I know that there is probably going to be no one that can relate exactly in the way that this happened, but it's been really eye-opening because I've had people reach out to me saying that, you know, this has helped me to face my trauma or this has helped me to be more honest and open and stuff like that just really makes me happy. And that's that's the reason why I did it and why I wanted to put that out there, you know. Yeah, I was uh, looking at some of the reviews that were on Amazon and um, they do they talk about how honest and vulnerable you are in it and how it changed the way that they what's the word I'm looking for uh how they sort of like lived their life or um sort of um their outlook on their situation perhaps yeah yeah it really changed that their outlook and um especially for people who were going through trauma and um I think there were even people who were involved in the search and all of that who read it and said that it gave them even incredible insight into the situation, even though they were there. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I was not only nervous to put it out there for strangers or maybe for people who have heard about the case, but also I knew that friends, family, a lot of people very close to me would be reading. And I am explicitly honest about a lot of things in this book. So it was kind of just nerve wracking in that sense. I didn't know how, my loved ones would really perceive it or take it. Um, with that being said, did your mother read the book? I gave my mother a copy of the book before I released it. Yes. So she, I really wanted to make sure that one, she was okay with everything that I was revealing. Um, and I just, I also wanted to kind of touch on this, that I was writing purely from my own personal experience. I tried my best not to speak for my mom or, you know, just make any sort of blanket statements because although we went through the same thing, she lost her husband and I lost my dad and that's completely different. But, you know, I, I let her read it. Um, I, I always do this to my mom. I feel kind of bad, but you know, I know she loves me. I just kind of have these ideas and run with them. And then I spring them on her and I'm like, Hey mom, I'm doing this. And mm. she's always been very, very, very supportive. And yeah, she, she read it before it was released. Okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> so I was curious. I mean, I've, I've never, I know that, like you mentioned, you didn't want to, you know, 
make any sort of blanking statements about the situation because you're both dealing it from two different perspectives to lose a father and to lose uh, your husband. You would grieve and kind of go through life dealing with that differently. Um, so I was just kind of curious as to like how she felt about it. And so it's very interesting that you like, you're like you, she was the first person that you went to before it was even released. And I think that tells what kind of relationship you guys might have as well. Um, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to, I, I wouldn't have felt right if I, I didn't let my mom know beforehand, you know, yeah. I never wanted to just be like, Hey, here's a book. I wrote it and it's out and people are reading it. You know, yeah. I just out of respect for our family and for my mom, I wanted her to read it and she was proud of me and supported everything that I was doing. And had she not been, you know, I definitely would have taken that into consideration and mm -hmm. this may have not even been a thing that I released. That's good. That's good. I mean, I'm glad that she, she was very proud of you and supportive so that we have this book and we can finally have something other than the few reports that were online, the very few talking about your father's story from a, a very removed sort of point of view, um, but also sort of like a... It was I also said, just vague. Like it, yeah, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as thorough as I've seen some reports. Um, I mean, I'm used to when it comes to missing persons reports, um, there is a lot more um, discussion about, you know, his family life, his, you know, who he was as a person. Yeah. And um, there really wasn't that much there um it was all about the circumstances and not about you know you the family or um you know him yeah I yeah i i periodically just search his name i i look at you know anything new that pops up and throughout the years i was definitely noticing that there are some sporadic blog posts but yeah the detail it really bothered me how there were no details and just real facts about anything because like I mentioned I think a lot of the news stuff got archived understandably because it was about nine years ago but it just started becoming saturated with the you know conspiracy theorist blogs and I just wanted to have uh, I guess credible voice out there which I wanted to do by means of free bird, I guess. So I just don't want people to get too carried away with those theories. Cause you know, I love conspiracy theories. Don't get me wrong, but just, I truly don't believe that this is a supernatural or paranormal type of incident. Mm -hmm. uh, also, can we talk a little bit about the title of your book, free bird? How did you land upon that? I'm looking down right now. I have that tattooed on my arm. So basically, Freebird, um, I don't know if you guys have heard the song. I know a lot of people have heard the song Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Um, Freebird has always been a song that my dad and I would listen to just in the car, driving to, to and from work and home. Um, we listen to a lot of classic rock together, and I just feel that the lyrics really apply. I've always thought of my dad um, when I heard the song and it just makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I actually had the title very early on. Um, it was years in the making. So I, it's just a song that's really dear to my heart. I am sad to admit I'm not sure I've heard Free Birds, but I will definitely take a listen. I don't know. You're looking at me like, <laughs> sorry, I know you can't see us, but Mari gave me like a very um, sort of like, I can't believe. I didn't mean to. I did not mean to be so judgmental with my face. <laughs> I mean, I might have heard it and not realized I was listening to it. But I was going to For say, the sake of not being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe once you play it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that song. Because it's, it's a very, you know, they use it in movies a lot. They use it all the time. Yeah. It's, it's common. I've probably heard it. But just for the sake of not being a liar, a bold-faced liar, <laughs> I'm going to say I haven't heard it, and then I'll listen to it, and then we'll then we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to, like, sing it to you or anything. It's, I'm not that familiar with it. Yeah. So that's, that's really, that's really, that's really awesome. Um, I don't know. 
about Mari, but the few writing pieces I've had to do, finding a title was not that easy. <laughs> but the fact that you had this sort of like, sort of this foundation for your story, like the title, this is, I know what it is from the get-go is really, yeah, really speaks it's, to me. It's interesting because obviously I've, in the other things that I've written, you know, sometimes it's just so hard to think of what to call what you just created. You know, you write this thing and you're like, what in the world is this? But I had the title. Yeah. It, I I honestly think I had a dream about it. I don't even remember. It just really, truly came to me and I was like, yep, sold. This is it. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Um, you also had the um, cover art for uh, Free Bird. Um I thought it was quite beautiful. Um, do do you do that, or did you have a designer do the art? Um, actually, no. Wovoka Trudell. Um, he I commissioned that piece from him, and he is a local New Mexico artist. And I met him through a friend, one of my you know my very best friend actually. So we just connected, and I I really wanted someone local from New Mexico to do the cover art. Um, I just felt like that would be the most meaningful. And it was great working with him. We, I, I didn't really know what I wanted. I just kind of described it and he created that for me. Just, it, I think it fits really perfectly with what I wrote about. I don't, I, like I, I'm just taking everything in yeah, right now. You know, um, you're just kind of soaking everything in. Cause we've talked a lot, talked about a lot. Um, you know, and it's a lot to absorb. I find often when we, when we do do our show, depending on the subject matter, it, um, it takes some time sort of like come through. I mean, because of your, because your, your, um, what happened to your father and, and your family, we can't help but feel a little bit affected affected by it also having talked to you the first, as we mentioned before you're the first person who we've talked to directly involved with the, the situation we're talking about so it's yeah and I, I want to really truly thank you for giving this opportunity to me I know that a lot of the times when somebody doesn't know how to approach something they just kind of avoid it. Don't do yeah. it. It's just kind of like, Oh, we're just going to pretend that's not, <laughs> that's not happening. But I, I think, and this, this applies to so many things going on in the world right now. Listen to survivors, um, yeah. hear real stories, you know, from the people who went through them. I think that's mm -hmm. crucial and so important. So thank you for giving me this voice, you know? Well, thank you for reaching out. Like as, as unconventional as it was, like it definitely stood out and caught my attention. Um, so this is definitely a very smart move in your case. You know, it's a great way to get in touch with us and a good way for us to learn about something so important that we would have never come across otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we are just like so grateful that you did reach out to us because yeah. um, I think this is probably one of our kind of most important episodes, I would say. Yeah. Um, because... I think we don't spend enough time talking about the aftermath of uh, these things. Yes, we're and, definitely um, guilty of focusing on the situation or the crime or whatever has taken place um, more so over those it's affected. I think that's honestly human nature. You know, we, we watch the news. Anyone watches the news and there's the breaking news stories and they stay on your brain for a while and then you often forget to follow up or don't follow up because there's, there's another one, you know, there's, there's something new happening. So yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. it is important to kind of reflect back and think, wow, what actually, you know, what was the outcome of that? And um, yeah, I think it's, it's especially important in kind of these unsolved cases where there are no answers and there, um, you know, there are lots of people who are going to speculate about it and, you know, not really consider, his family. Yeah, because there's no closure for you guys um, in terms of what happened. It's been quite some time. And so it's really important that, you know, we follow up with you guys. Cause it's the one, you're like, you're not getting any answers. It doesn't really matter if we don't get any answers. It's, what's important is that you're here 
you're around, you're still around, you more than anyone, you know, want to know what's going on with this situation and have to deal with it every day. Exactly. It just kind of becomes a part of everyday life and it's, it never goes away. It's just something you have to kind of process, accept and learn to live with. And that I know that that's a really hard step um, in any type of healing. Just you go through your denial, maybe a really strong bout of anger. And then finally there's that release and then you can accept your life for what it is and learn how to live it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's what Freebird is about, but would you mind um, telling us a little bit about how it's been um, kind of having to learn to live with it and accept it and try to keep moving forward? Yeah, so when all of this happened, I mean, I was still in college, I was 18, and I kind of just had a point of overall shutdown. Obviously, I stopped going to school for some time. I stopped working at the restaurant that I had been working at and just kind of put my life on hold. And I just had to think to myself, how long am I going to do this? Um, I know that it's something necessary for right now, but I do have things that I want to do in life. I still have things that I want to accomplish. So what what's the point of time where that's okay? And it just kind of led me to realize that there is no point. There is no specific point of time. Just, you know, you have to heal. You have to take as much time as you personally need. And then just know that it is possible to push through. And it's it's the very cliche thing of your dad would have wanted you to be happy and have a happy life but it's it's true you know it's just like you don't want to hear that but it is true Mm -hmm. that's true and I'd like to point out something you mentioned earlier is that there's no straight path towards healing like any situation it's never like oh this thing happened and now it's and now I'm I'm completely healed from the situation you have a lot of ups and downs have some good days some bad days you know it's, it's definitely a process Exactly. Even nine years down the road, there's still very terrible days. And then there's some days where I feel like I'm thriving and it's good. And then other days it's like, wow, I feel like I am back in 2009 mm-hmm. all over again. So it, it really depends. And I think especially with um, a situation like yours, there's no real kind of benchmark for you know when you're supposed to start grieving versus you know hoping he's still out there and um yeah that that point of grieving sort of hoping that something will be found it kind of went from okay so we're hoping obviously we're hoping to find him alive and then time went on and it's more like we're hoping to find something more time goes on and it's just like we're hoping that he's at peace it it's that was one of the most difficult things to kind of swallow and just be okay with just kind of accepting that Mm -hmm. fact. Yeah. Cause um, yeah, some of the stuff I was looking at um, was even just from four years after the fact. um, And I, I just can't imagine how, like, even from that point, there's been nothing new, nothing's changed from that point. And um, yeah, I just can't imagine kind of going through my life like that, not getting answers. And this is really, which is really, really hard. Yeah. And just wanted to make it known that I do. A lot of people ask me this too, um, because I moved out of New Mexico. Um, I moved to California in 2011 and I, still keep in touch with the detectives that worked on the case and people that were directly involved. You know, we still have a very open um, communication and I do check in. I ask them things and sometimes I'll have people reach out to me just unrelated to law enforcement saying, you know, we were up there. We always look for him. We are always thinking about him. It's never forgotten. 
Well, I'm glad that there are people still looking and that even law enforcement is still keeping their, their eyes and ears out for you and, you know, staying in contact with you. Um, cause yeah, I, I can't imagine that it ever really gets easier in that sense. Yeah. And like, <laughs> this might sound a little bit funny, but like it's, it's kind of amazing to me how like time and like, um, how time changes a lot of things, but some things never change. So you said, even though this happened in 2009, people are still messaging you about your dad. Like they're still thinking about like, like that person is your dad, your, your, your best friend. Right. And people are still thinking about you, which is amazing. And I think that has a lot to do with New Mexico is really great. And in terms of the way it's like a big community. You're all really almost family. So that's one thing I love about where I come from. Um, people really do care like that. And yeah, I I would never, ever have been able to get through it and um, am not able to get through it without those closest to me. I do just need to acknowledge, you know, my best friends, my girlfriend, my mom, everyone who continuously supports me and just is sensitive to the fact that some days are better than others and that's that's okay that's true you're, you're right um so i just want to ask you if you can briefly describe in your words um just to like really sort of what's the word i'm looking for um but you're kind of hoping that people will sort of like gain from reading your book, from hearing us talk to you and hearing what happened to you and to your father, um, sort of like a, a kind of a closing statement in a sense. I just hope that if anything, people walk away from reading Freebird um, with, with a greater sense of clarity and just truly insight because this case was very vague and that's not necessarily because anything was being held back it's just because there was really that little information to go off of and I kind of feel like I am a first-hand source of information and I I know that people want to know about the case and I'm willing to share that now it's been some time and I'm ready to share that and I want it to be talked about and I want you know I want it to be kept kept alive in a sense. So I truly don't mind answering questions and talking about it as, as we just did today. I think this was great. So I just really want to give people clarity on this. And on the other hand, if you don't know about the case, if you just simply can't relate, um, at the very least, I hope it gives you some strength in whatever you're going through. Okay. Um, thank you again for reaching out to us and joining us today. Um, we're, you know, I feel like we have gained a lot from this conversation today and, and looking into your father's case. So um, we are just really grateful that um, you reached out to us. And Yeah. If anything, you've gained two new people who, you know, your, your message has kind of been reached, at least in terms of me and Mari, for sure. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. I, again, thank you for, thank you for looking at my Instagram message <laughs> and giving it a chance because I know that was kind of, that was really random. But you know, I I had a feeling you would respond. So <laughs> <laughs> you were right. Um. So yeah, I think that's, um, it for for today. Um, sadly, we're going to go say goodbye to Kristen Nadell, correct? <laughs> yes, yes, correct. <laughs> yes. Just making sure I wanted to make sure that I... Didn't I, mess up your name in the final moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be as respectful as possible. That is our goal, you know. Um, <laughs> to be to do you service, is what, I, is what I'm trying to say. Um, it literally was a 
pleasure talking to you and to have you be our, like, our first, I don't want to say special guest, but you were very special to talk to. So I guess I'm going to go with that. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate this. And this was a great experience for me. So I'm very happy with everything that we talked about. (laughs) Awesome. So I think uh, we'll sign off now. Um, And our, our (laughs) sign off is um, don't be a murderer. So (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you want to sign off for us? Um, I think that's, that's very sound advice. Don't be a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we will talk to you guys another time. Bye-bye.